Thank you, Stacy. Well, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is James. I'm married to the other Stacy who shared earlier the, our Kingdom Update uh, and also part of the Gills Creek small group. And uh, as uh, Stacy Lyons just mentioned, we're taking kind of a, a quick break, at this, uh, an interruption in your usual broadcast to address um, uh, some, some matters of, of just life and church together. We've done this throughout the series. Um, in April, um, uh, Wayne shared about our call to unity and pursue reconciliation and resolution and conflict. Uh, and then I shared a sermon on active rest in May and pursuing uh, not just uh, passive rest, but an active rest in our life together. And then in July, Jay Will, you might remember, preached on the mission of the church, that come what may, the pandemic, whatever comes, the mission continues forward. And so uh, on that same theme, this morning we'll be looking at 1 Peter here, considering the call to employ the gifts of grace that have been given to us as the people of God. And I want to address this morning here really three different kinds of uh, people that might be sitting in these chairs this morning. Uh, we've all experienced profound interruption from COVID. And it doesn't look like it's going to get easier very quickly. This is a call for perseverance, a call to unity, to persevere in unity by serving one another. And there are some of us who, out of this profound interruption from COVID, have disengaged from community. We've disengaged from using our spiritual gifts, from serving our brothers and sisters. We've disengaged from being present in the lives of others, not just literally, but even virtually. We've sort of uh, removed ourselves, and that's understandable. But the time has come for us to re-engage. And my hope and prayer is that this message will serve as, a, as an impetus and, and an encouragement to take a step forward in obedience. Some of us didn't stop engaging. We perhaps even stepped up our engagement during the COVID. We saw a crisis, an emergency, and we stepped in. And some of us are very tired. And maybe we need to learn to be blessed by others, to receive ministry, not just give it. <laughs> All of us are called to both give and receive grace. Some of us are, many of us are better at giving it than receiving it. And we need to maybe humble ourselves to receive grace from each other. And there's a third type of individual who may be here this morning. You might be what the, the Bible calls an outsider, meaning when you look at the church, you're kind of on the outside looking in. Maybe you're a guest, you're a visitor. Uh, maybe you're, you're not a follower of Christ. You're welcome here. We're glad that you're here. And here's what I hope you receive from this message. I hope you are encouraged by God's Word. And I hope you hold us, the people of God, to it. Jesus of Nazareth said this, the world will know you're my disciples by what? Your love for each other. That means Jesus gave the, the world the authority to judge the church whether or not we are the real deal. Do we love each other? We are on display before a watching world. 
And this morning's message is really this call to love one another earnestly by our words and our deeds. And so would you pray with me as we enter into this important task together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks truth to us in love and it builds us up. Lord, we need to be edified, encouraged. We need to be challenged, convicted. We need to be comforted this morning. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come in all the fullness of your presence and your power. Humble us, Lord, that you might in due time exalt us. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. The first thing Peter says here is that in order for us to love one another well, to keep loving another well, we've got to keep our heads in hard times. We've got to keep our heads in hard times. Look what he says in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for your prayers. See, our time... The way we conceive of our time has been radically redefined by faith, shattering the old pagan notion of an eternal return, of history as an endless circle, a cul-de-sac going nowhere, and finally ending in each of our own death. There's nowhere to go in a cul-de-sac except round and round, and we pass the time on ourselves singing the old-fashioned chorus, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Look what Peter says in verse 3 of our passage. The time that is past is enough for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. He's saying, in light of the time, it is enough We don't live in the cul-de-sac. We're on a road going somewhere. Our sense of time as Christians has been reinvigorated and brightly illuminated by the light of our impending hope. Rather than running the endless loops of seasons, summer, fall, winter, spring, repeat. Rather than merely filling in time as an infinite regress, we redeem the time in the joy of our infinite hope. Or as Peter says earlier in his letter, we rejoice that it, in a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Such joy gives us focus for our time now. The, the end of all things is at hand, and the end of all things is good news. All that's been required for our hope from the creation of the world to the promises to the patriarchs to the fulfillment with Israel to the coming of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All the events of redemptive history except the very end have taken place. The end is at hand. And so we are a focused people, focused on joy. Look what Peter says in chapter 1 on the screen. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being, using the same word in our passage, sober-minded, sets your hope fully on the hope 
or sorry, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are a focused people prepared for action, sober-minded because of hope. Hope gives us focus. And so we can love one another well, dear saints, because we can keep our heads in hard times. We are attuned to the hope Christ gives us. We know that this pandemic and all of its complications is not a sickness unto death ultimately for our world, but is a pathway toward hope. There are many who are suffering and there are many who have died and will die. And this is tragic. But hope is at hand. And so we do not panic. We do not live in terror. We are put here on this earth in God's sovereign providence for this very time. These are our days. We get to serve God in a pandemic. I'm excited to be here with you and to do it together. Such a time as this have we been ordained. Look what Paul goes on to say in verse 12 of our passage. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that befalls you like something strange is happening. Don't be surprised by pandemics. He goes on to say in verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel? Brothers and sisters, this is our time. Let us persevere well. Don't you want to serve well together? Turn in your Bibles, 1 Peter to chapter 1, just a couple pages over, verses 6 and 7. Peter writes this, the beginning of his letter here, In this, the coming salvation, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And we have been grieved, and we rightly grieve them. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result, brothers and sisters, here's your bright future, in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I will get to stand next to you on that day, And we will receive praise, glory, and honor from the hand of Jesus himself. Because these days tested us. And by his grace, we were proven. Amen? So we rejoice, even in the face of these trials. The pastor, one of the pastors I admire, Scotty Smith in Tennessee, writes this in his blog, his, his prayer journal that he puts online. He says, Jesus, with many friends this August morning, I do not like waking up to the new Delta dance we're having to learn. My instinct isn't to consider it an opportunity for great joy, the way P- Peter tells us to do it, but by faith and grace, I choose to trust you for great joy and neighbor love over, I choose this over the foolishness of denial, the pandemic is fake, the bitterness of blaming, 
It's the government's fault. It's media's fault. Fill in the blanks. Fault. The paralysis of fear. The selfishness of throwing caution to the wind. And the wasted energy of anger. Help us. Free us. Grace us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Neither paralysis nor denial. We are a people focused by hope. So we are attuned not just to the future hope that gives light to this light and momentary burden, but we are attuned to the present crisis. We are not in denial. We don't stick our heads in the sand. We don't pretend it's not there. We both cease from catastrophizing the current events and we cease from downplaying them. We see them in their proper proportion, focused as we are by hope. We do not ignore the grim realities, the fact that our hospitals in Colombia are filling up, that the ICUs are full, that the pediatric units are filling up. Do not just to COVID, but more, more than COVID, these non-COVID respiratory illnesses. Because with the pandemic has come a massive drop in children immunization as families have been fearful to go to clinics and the doctor visits. Our family's own pediatrician, Dr. Greenhouse, says it's, it's a little frightening what's going to happen this fall because all these children are not immunized. We can see the return of the whooping cough, the return of measles. So these are facts we can attend to. And we can also see the fatigue in people like Dr. Greenhouse. We can see the fatigue in our friends who are nurses, who are doctors, who are PAs, who are other medical professionals. They are exhausted and overwhelmed. And this gives us focus and sober-mindedness to pray. In fact, I'd like to pray now for them. <laughs> so as you bow your head, I will prompt us, but I want you to pray for the names and faces that you know and love. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to be here during this difficult time to test and prove our faith, but also to love our neighbors well, to be your representatives in a hurting world. Lord, we have the privilege to intercede for our faithful friends and neighbors, some of them our own brothers and sisters, who are laboring in the medical field to care for our sick neighbors. Lord, we're so grateful for them. We name them to you now, these names that are on our hearts, dear friends, neighbors, co-workers, brothers and sisters in our faith. We lift them up to you now in praise. And Lord, as we praise you for them, we pray for your grace on their lives. They are tired. They're exhausted. Some are quitting. And we pray for stamina, for renewed energy. And Lord, we pray that you would give us insights as to how we can be a blessing to them. We lift them up now by name. Amen. Well, Peter goes on here in verses 8 and 9 to say this. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, Above all, above all, above everything else, keep Loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
He says, keep loving one another because you already do. It's, it's what a newborn Christian knows to do. A newborn child cries out for mom. And a newborn Christian cries out in love for not only the milk of the word, but love for each other. Look on the screen what Peter says about this earlier in his letter. He says, having purified yourself, your, your souls rather, by your obedience to the truth, when you heard the gospel and you believed, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, and there's our word, earnest love from a pure heart. You already love each other. Now love each other more intentionally. Direct your hearts toward one another. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, like your earthly father, and you have earthly siblings that you ought to love sincerely and earnestly, but you have been born together in the family of God by an imperishable seed. And so our love for one another should be imperishable, eternal, everlasting. And love here is not an abstraction. It's easy to love the church universal. It's very, very hard to love the church local, isn't it? It's, e it's like the, the old humanitarian who said, I love humanity as people I can't stand. We love the church as an idea, but in reality, right? We all want community, but as soon as community starts saying things like, can you watch my kids? Hey, could you bring me a meal? Hey, I've got COVID. All of a sudden, community is no longer so attractive. But community is costly and real. And I would encourage some of us who have disengaged from community, what does it look like for you to take that next step to, to re-engage your small group community? Because the fact is, we have to be in relationships not just with our homemade communities, that is to say our circle of friends. The gospel is most clearly displayed when we are doing life with people that we would otherwise never interact with, only because of Jesus are we sharing our lives with each other. How are you doing that? And I know the excuses. James, my work is overwhelming. My, my life is too full. Well, maybe, maybe you need to draw some firmer boundaries. Maybe you need to reconsider your priorities. Are you prioritizing the body of Christ in your life? And I mean the flesh and blood community that God's put around you, that he's placed you in in a local church, not just, again, a circle of friends that you get to define by your own affinity. James, you just don't understand my family situation. You don't know my life circumstances. You're right, I don't. But Jesus does. And wherever you are, Jesus promises there is a pathway to obedience. So what is that next step for you to take toward obedience of lo loving one another well? Love covers a multitude of sins. One theologian writes this, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound. That sounds like our culture, doesn't it? 
It's a toxic culture where every word is suspicious, every action liable to misunderstanding. Such is not the way it ought to be among us. We ought to be a community thick with love and grace, with, with making uh, good assumptions about one another. The fact is we're going to continue to have different views about masking and vaccination and social distancing and what we ought to do. But will we engage this in love or in the hatred that marks our culture? Quick to cancel each other, quick to silence each other, quick to judge each other's intentions and motives. On the screen, you'll see what Peter says earlier about this very matter. In chapter 3, Peter writes this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, sympathize with each other in your differing views. Brotherly love, a tender heart that's quick to care and show compassion to others who have different views than us, and a humble mind that doesn't assume you've got it all figured out, that maybe you're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. This ought to mark the Christian community as we do life together, as we engage life together. Look, I don't know what's coming this fall. The elders are still discussing the, the numbers and, and what we ought to do corporately in our gatherings, not just Sunday mornings, but as small groups. If our small groups have to return to Zoom meetings, which nobody likes. I like it least of all. <laughs> I hope we will do so, as Peter says here, without grumbling. Without grumbling. If we decide we have to mask again in the service, I hope we will do so without grumbling. As Peter says here, that we will show hospitality to one another without Grumbling. Why do we grumble when we have to give of ourselves? We have to sacrifice for others because it's costly and it hurts and it's inconvenient. When someone stays at your house one night, that's fine. But after night three, you're like, all right, it's time to go, buddy. Right? I'm so, I wish we could redefine this mask. It's not a symbol of fear. It's not a symbol of enlightenment. What if this is just a symbol of hospitality? And what if we wear it without grumbling? Right now, the, the elders are still in conversation, as I said. The current CDC recommendations are in an area like ours, which is high risk, because the numbers are increasing so quickly, is that even vaccinated people should wear masks indoors. So, the elders are discussing and praying through this. But in the meantime, we encourage you to wear masks as you feel comfortable. We encourage especially, and we ask actually, that in working with children, if you are unvaccinated, you would continue to wear masks. And we hope that you'll be able to honor that without grumbling. Finally, look around this last point. Look around at all the faces in this room. A lot of these faces are new to us. If those of you that have 
maybe been here for some number of years. I want to remind you, you who are Riverside members, we used to say this all the time as our hospitality team rhetoric, but you are, if you're a member of Riverside, you are on the hospitality team. These faces around you, these are those among whom God has placed in your life to love, to share your life with, to get to know and be known by. So what would it look like after the service to, to go up and greet someone? Feel comfortable, go outside, you can take your mask off, but greet someone you don't know. Maybe even invite them over for lunch. What does it look like to show hospitality during a pandemic? We need it more than ever, especially now. And we can do that in wise ways. We can do that in ways that are loving and kind and thoughtful of where others might be coming from, where their health uh, risks might be. But hospitality is not an option for the saints. We are called to share our lives with each other because we love one another earnestly. Well, Peter goes on. Just as you received grace, so we ought to not only share our lives, but share grace with each other. Look what he says in verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, all of us have been the recipients of God's tremendous grace and kind generosity. As each has received a gift, use that gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And we'll pause there. What is Peter talking about here? He's talking about what we call spiritual gifts. Uh, on the screen, you'll see where the Apostle Paul addresses this same topic in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, when we are born again, as Peter says, as newborns, we have received the baptism of the Spirit, Paul calls it here, or elsewhere, the gift of the Spirit. Having received the gift of the Spirit, I've received a particular manifestation of that Spirit. That is to say, a set of gifts. And those gifts can be developed and mature. As Paul tells a young Timothy, fan your gift into flame. We are to develop the gifts God's given us for not our own boasting and our own glory, but for the service of others, to build up one another. For, as Paul says here, the common good. And it's very varied. Notice the variety of gifts, variety of service, variety of activities. Peter here calls it God's varied grace. It's diverse. 
It's enormous in its list. In fact, on the screen, you'll see kind of the New Testament lists of the gifts of the Spirit. You'll notice they're all different because none of them are comprehensive. There's a couple from 1 Corinthians, one from Romans, one from Ephesians. And I love how the, the Apostle Peter just summarizes under two rubrics, speaking and serving, and all the different kinds that fall under that, those categories. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know how you know what your gifts are? You know by serving. You know by doing. As you serve, you learn, as I did. Okay, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> That's not my thing. But there are other areas where God will show you, where God's people will respond, where you will find joy in serving. That you say, okay, that is my gift. Maybe that is what God's called me to here in the body of Christ and part of my vocation, my calling as a disciple of Jesus. Your gifts ultimately do not belong just to you. You are a steward, as Stacy said. You are to steward those gifts. In fact, a few weeks ago, Dennis uh, preached, Denny, uh, our, our youth intern, uh, was preaching at City of Refuge, our church plant in Eau Claire. And he, he said, you know, during this pandemic, you've all heard about essential workers. Only some of us are essential. Sorry. <laughs> but in the body of Christ, what Paul says here, what Peter says here, is that we are all essential workers in the body. No one is a non-essential worker in the body of Christ. Every gift is needed. In fact, Paul, Peter here calls it not just a gift, but he calls it grace. Do you, do you see yourself sitting in their chair right now? I am the means of grace to the body of Christ around me. Which means when we withdraw ourselves from community, when we, when we pull away from small groups, when we pull away from those flesh and blood relationships, when we pull away from worshiping together, we deny each other grace. The grace that God is gifted to us to steward for others. When we do not engage our spiritual gifts, we deny the body of Christ the grace He has given it and intended it to enjoy and flourish from. The whole body suffers when one of us withdraws. And so there's a call here for every member. Every member is essential for the welfare of the body. And so let me encourage you, what is the next step you can take to use your gifts to benefit the body of Christ? Especially your brothers and sisters in your local congregation. Well, Peter here goes on to address those two different kinds of categories, speaking and serving, beginning with speaking, he says that we are to, those who have the have gifts of speaking are to speak as the oracles of God. There's a kind of conscientiousness in how we employ this gift, a, a fear and trembling in handling it as if handling the very words of God Himself. There's a wisdom to how we are to wield words. And that's true for everyone. Not everyone has gifts of speaking, but all of us are called to use our words to edify. All of us are called to use our words to give life. How do you steward your words? Do you steward your language to be a blessing to those around you? 
I love what Paul says. He says, let no uncorrupting talk, or sorry, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Are your words a means of grace to those around you? That it builds them up, encourages them, is a fitting word in a fitting moment, seasoned with salt, thoughtful, gracious, full of life, full of encouragement. How we need that, how we need words from each other. We suffer in silence. Certainly we suffer under curse when we curse each other, speak harshly of one another. But silence is just as deathly. So we need to be, we need to not be so stingy with our praises of one another. Bless one another with our words. I long to see our small groups places where the truth is spoken in love constantly and regularly. Well, if that's generally true, there are specific gifts that some of us have been given for our words. Our words are particularly empowered by the Holy Spirit to give grace to the body of Christ. Some of those gifts might be the gift of teaching or the gift of preaching. Some might be the gift of counsel or wisdom. Some might be the gifts of discernment and speaking that discernment into situations. There are also what we might call certain non-inferential gifts, gifts like speaking in another language or the gift of prophecy. And I want to address prophecy for a brief moment because there's so much confusion around it. And for good reasons, we are skeptical of these more non-inferential gifts of speaking. On the screen uh, is again from Paul, Paul picking up from where we began in chapter 12 in the previous quote. He goes on at the end of his section here at the end of 14 to say this, What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together in the house church there in Corinth, there's probably around 50 to maybe 100 believers, up upwards of 100, each one has a hymn, has a song, a lesson, a prepared teaching plan, okay, a revelation, something unprepared, right? This is non-inferential. A tongue, another language, and an interpretation of that foreign language. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let them keep silent in church and speak to himself or herself and to God. Some of you have this gift. I, have a, I know a number of you do. And most of you refer to it as a prayer language because it's something you kind of keep between you and God. But you, in your prayers, will speak a language you do not understand. I know this has been abused. I was part of a church where this was abused or saw it and witnessed it. It was my parents' church. I know uh, there's pressure in this category to perform. I have a lot of friends who grew up Pentecostal who said it was just something I did because I was supposed to. But we need to be careful to not allow abuse to rule out legitimate use. And the same is true with prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak, Paul goes on. Let the others weigh what is said. This is interesting. They're prophets, which means they're identified as people who have this gift of prophecy. 
They have been proven in the past to bless others with their prophetic words. And yet, even so, their words every time must be weighed. It's not like the prophet Isaiah. You know, it's not like the prophet Micah. Once they were approved in their predictive prophecies, it was the Word of God. Every single time, Paul says, weigh what is said. doesn't matter what their track record. If a revelation is made to another while he's sitting there, so this, this lets you know this isn't a prepared lesson. This isn't the old Puritan word for preaching was prophesying. That's not how Paul's using it. It's not a prepared lesson. It's a revelation that comes to you while you're sitting there. He says, while, while, while one makes sitting there, let the first be silent. You can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. That means no one can just go, I can't help it. The Holy Spirit's possessed me and sort of word vomit the whole group. Paul says, no, the spirit of prophets is subject to the prophets. Let no one enter to some ecstatic state where they have no control over themselves. That is not how God works. He says, rather, God is a God of peace, not confusion. So you can do this orderly. Now, if prophecy, as understood here, is a kind of spontaneous revelation given to someone that is then fallibly spoken, fallibly because it has to be weighed, this isn't the Word of God. This is a man's fallible interpretation of something God has brought to mind and his fallible articulation of it. then we need to weigh it carefully. We need to be wise with this, but we, needn't, we do not need to fear it. In Thessalonians, Paul says this, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies. It's easy for us to despise them, isn't it? Especially if you've experienced the abuses. But test everything, Paul says, holding fast to what's good, abstaining from every evil. So there's a weighing that must continually go on there. Now, I want to demystify this for a moment. I don't know what your experiences have been with the prophetic or with God using the Spirit to bring things to mind that were non-inferentially. In other words, you did not reason your way to this conclusion, but something came to you that proved to be, well, significant for the moment. Have you ever been driving in the car and someone comes to mind and you give them a call? And they're like, it's funny you should call. I'm really struggling right now. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor and I do a lot of that sort of thing, but that happens to me on some occasion. There are many instances where I think the Spirit is always speaking to us. Sometimes we're attuned to Him and other times not so much. But the prophetic gift still continues today. And I encourage us to cultivate that, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our lives, subject to the Word of God, written and final, weighing carefully what's said. And I especially encourage it in our small groups because that is the place where we could really, when you come together, each one has a hymn and a lesson and a word of revelation or a word of encouragement. It's in, I encourage you small group leaders to give space in your small groups to say to the group, hey, does anyone have a word of encouragement? In your times in the Word this week, did, did the Lord teach you anything that would be good to share with us? 
Even in, oftentimes in our group, there have been prayers that have just been powerful and clearly the Spirit has prophetically worked to speak into a very particular situation. Do we give space for the Spirit in our gatherings like that? I would encourage you to think about doing that. Well, as important as edifying words are, miraculously given or not, they are just tools. They're means to a far greater end, and that end is love. Or as Paul put it, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll all be silenced. As for knowledge, it'll become obsolete. But love is forever, and love is the greater gift. Above all things, keep loving one another, and use your words to love each other. I'm out of time. Let me briefly say this about gifts of serving. The gifts of serving here are really, again, we're all called to serve each other practically, all of us. But there are particular skills God's given us. Those skills can be the gift of helps, where we come alongside, we're eager, energetic. Uh, that could be everything as mundane as making coffee for the hospitality team to simply opening up our homes for our small groups. It can be watching someone's kids so they can get a night out. It could be cleaning or setting up classrooms for our children's space. It could just be that helpful person. You all know who I'm talking about, who I'm thinking about in the Southeast neighborhood, who just shows up in most people's lawns. That's the gift of helps. It's powerful. It's awesome. It's a blessing to the body of Christ. Some of you have very skilled gifts, skills with music. Our worship team could use some help. <laughs> they're, they're doing great, but we, I know there's this impression we have so many people up here like, well, they don't need anybody. We do. We need help. And so if you have those skills, Justin in the back, Justin, raise your hand. He would love to talk to you if you have any interest or skills in sound or in AV in any department. He would be eager to talk to you. But in all of our serving, we have to remember this. It's God who serves us. It's always ever God who serves us in our serving each other and in our service of God. And he will receive all the glory. He who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He who did not just give us a good word, but gave, him his, gave us his very self, who loved us and gave himself up for us. So we can give ourselves to each other. As Peter, let me just close with Peter's words here. All this is in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And all the saints said, amen. amen. Let's sing the doxology now. Would you pray with me as um, our worship team makes their way forward? Father, May you be glorified now in the praises of your people. And as we serve you in worship, Lord, would your spirit serve us and fill our hearts with joy, with hope, and with love.